Episode 40 of the Bowery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. everyone to the Valerie Capital Startup Sales Podcast. We have with us today Aaron Midman, who is the SVP of Global Sales with Nanigans. How are you doing tonight, Eric? Good, thanks. Good, thanks. Excellent. Well, we have a very interesting topic tonight. We're going to be talking about, uh, I think, a uh, an element of sales that is extremely important to anyone engaging in unique value selling. Uh, you know, we're going to be talking about uh, quantifying ROI uh, in the process of unique value selling. And I think this is actually an extremely interesting angle because as you think about, you know, everyone talks about unique value selling and, and what it means, but when you get down to it, what is that unique value? And I think Aaron uh, is going to bring a, a pretty interesting perspective on how he finds actually quantifying that measure of ROI. Can, can really turbocharge the process of, of unique value selling. Um, before getting into our content, though, I'd love to, Aaron, turn it over to you uh, to just give a, a brief uh, intro of your background. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, Nick, glad to be part of the podcast and, uh, and excited to do this. Uh, so my uh, my career in selling started a long time ago, back in the 80s, actually, mainframe software to begin with. And... Um, and interestingly, I um, accidentally found my way into the internet world, specifically into the the world's first uh, commercial ad serving technology back in 1996-97. Company called NetGravity that we that we took from you know literally three or four customers to um, let's see four or five hundred customers, successful IPO, and then acquisition by DoubleClick, where my career continued for a while um, as part of the the DoubleClick. Dart DFP team. Um, we continued to grow that business substantially. Uh, it was literally market leader for many years, and um, and then in about '04, I I moved on to um, to other startups as well as large companies, and and interestingly was able to hone this value se- selling methodology over the years, and um, and found it to be applicable in almost every company that I've gone to. And how about a brief description of Nanigans for those listeners who may not be familiar with it? Nanigans arms in-house digital marketing teams with the most powerful and transparent cross-channel buying platform for driving growth and profit. Excellent. Well, uh, with that, let's let's dive into it. Um, I think many of our our listeners are, uh, you know, 
line of business salespeople, sales managers, SDRs, even some founders in there. So it's it's a broad range. Uh, so just just to give give the framework, what is in your view unique value selling, and you know why is it integral to to your sales process at Netigans? Uh Sure. So. So this all actually started. I remember one when um, we were having a, I was having a um, sales pipeline meeting with a number of sales reps, and I started hearing sales reps saying things like they really like our product, or they're going to buy our product because we're easy to use, and very generic, non-quantified, and frankly not legitimate reasons for somebody to buy a product, <laughs> and so. So we 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 developed this model from there, which was you can't tell me they like the product. You have to tell me why they like the product. And more than that, you have to tell me how this product is actually valuable to them in a quantified sort of way. And so we we started building these models. And, you know, people know ROI quantification models out there. But generally what those ROI calculators do is they build demand for the generic product, like – you're right. This ROI calculator tells me I absolutely need a an ad server. But what it doesn't do is help the salesperson convey that the ad server that they need or the SaaS DR platform that they need is my platform instead. And so so we took the model to the next step, which was to actually quantify the value of our unique differentiation. So step number one, validate that this this type of product is necessary for you. Step number two, validate why this product in particular is the only one that really that really brings the highest level of of value for this prospect's business. And and that's what the unique value um ROI calculation is about. Got it. Um so you know I, th- I think in our in our past discussions, you know, you've mentioned that People buy from sales teams that make the purchase easiest. Um, as you think about, you know, we'll, we'll step through in a second how how you've gone about thinking about quantifying ROI. But uh, would you say that that is kind of the the most important takeaway here? Is that at the end of the day, by by quantifying ROI, you're actually making it easier for the customer to purchase uh, because they understand, you know, they understand the numbers better. They understand why it's why it's Nanigans and not a competitor? Yeah, that's exactly right. So just imagine our uh, our champion at the company going up to their CFO and saying, I want to buy this product because it's better. I want to buy this mm-hmm. product because it's easier for me. You know, I want to buy this yep. product because it has some specific widgets. If I was a CFO, I'd throw them out as well. That's not a well-thought-out value proposition, uh, justification. And so most of the time, people that are buying – I mean, this is this is not always the case, but most of the time people are buying. They don't actually know how to create that justification for for their purchase. And so, if we can help them create that justification for the purchase and quantify the value to their organization, then it makes it that much easier for them to buy. Significant side benefit, obviously, is if those things that are deemed valuable for the company happen to be your unique features, then you're controlling the sale as opposed to anyone being able to satisfy that demand. And so so that's what we do is we we have a model whereby we take a look at our um the the customer's needs and then apply our unique features advantages to it 
in a in a quantified calculated way such that by the time we're done then the the prospect actually has a template for being able to do the justification in house themselves and it justifies us so that's the idea. You've got essentially four different axes that you're going to do this on. You're going to do it on increased revenue, reduced cost, and also reduced risk, and also speed to market. Um, we turn those into to actual numbers, quantified numbers, that then can be used for the justification overall, both of our product as well as for them to justify the sale in internally. Great. What's, uh, what's, what's this? Take those step by step and kind of maybe just chat for a second about about each. Um, you know, increased revenues. I, I think this is at, at least in the world of uh, uh, enterprise SaaS, this is probably the one that salespeople uh, go to first. Um, you know, I, I think figuring out how you might quantify that is uh, probably dependent on the product. But you know, I would I would imagine to some extent it's you know, if you're a marketing product, uh, you know, increase leads or, you know, reduce churn, what have you. I would imagine your calculation for increased revenues is, is along those lines. Yeah, that's exactly right. So my current product, for example, our value proposition, it follows all four of those axes I just discussed, but by mm-hmm. far the most, the most powerful is, so let's say you're a, um, you're a large e-tailer. And you've got a $20 million a year, $50 million a year budget for media spend that needs to be that needs to be very carefully applied to get the maximum value out of it. And the maximum value is literally attribution to sales dollars. So, so in the simplest example, if I had a product that let you reduce your headcount to to spend this money by five or six headcount, that's a savings of 300 grand. And my product is worth, you know, 20% of that 300 grand, $60,000 for doing it. It's not a lot of money. It's not really worth being in business for a cost avoidance product. On the other yep. hand, if, if my product can let you take that $50 million and coax even 10% better performance, now keep in mind my product goes dramatic my current product goes dramatically beyond 10% improved performance but 10% improvement performance on 50 million dollars is 5 million dollars of benefit and it's really easy to build the justification around something like that yep so you know not only increased revenue i mean i, I suppose in uh in Anakin's case the the benefit is you know with if you're optimizing media spend you're Potentially increasing revenues and effectively reducing costs as well because you know you get more out of the same spend. Um, stepping to that second one, reducing costs in in a in the case of a lot of other uh, you know a lot of uh, you know enterprise software products, uh, you may also look at the cost of competitors or like you mentioned the cost of heads to run a more complex product. Is is that is that also so you mentioned headcount already is is taking a look at competitive or replacement solutions that may be more expensive is does that factor into to the second element as well um sure yeah so you ultimately building this justification for your for your customer is going to provide to get input from all four of these of these different axes. So not only am I going to, you know, obviously convey that we can increase the performance of your media by millions of dollars. I'm also going to say, 
and you can do that with a dramatically reduced staff. And a dramatically reduced staff not just means lower cost of head of you know of headcount, but it also means such things as maybe lower turnover rates. Um, people are more satisfied with their job. You don't have to worry about potential risk or interruption to your business. Um, they can feel more satisfaction in the job that they're doing. They, you know, they, they coax more performance out of, um, you know, from their role. And all these things can actually be turned into dollars and cents and put into a calculator and then used as the justification both, again, for your product and then for, for you to sell your product as well as for your product to be sold internally at your prospects, um, business. Yep. Um, so those, you know, increased revenues, reduced costs, um, completely makes sense, should be completely quantified. How do you go about you know, moving to the, the second two elements, reduce risk and speed to market? How do you go about quantifying those? Sure. Yeah, reduced risk is a really interesting one, which um, I don't think gets leveraged enough in enterprise sales cycles, often in enterprise sales cycles. Um, this comes you know, I'm old enough to know the days that people didn't get fired for buying IBM. And so that's not exactly a quantify. I guess you could quantify it. You could say my salary is going to continue for two more years by buying IBM. <laughs> but uh, other than that, reduction in risk means things like um, uh, the the probability that your business will will um, re will not suffer outages. It's the probability that um, that you'll be able to um to maintain some sort of steady state in your efforts for example in the nanigans product just as important as being efficient in in using of using your media spend is getting scale if you know if every customer that i bring on board at $3 is worth it to me then I'm going to want to get an unlimited number of them. I not even 50 million dollars worth of ad spend, but 100 million dollars worth of ad spend. If I can somehow figure out how to scale that, it's ultimately better for my business. So so reduce risk is the ability for your business not to suffer suffer outages or take any other kind of risk. Here's a really interesting example of of reduction of risk. And that is so in the past year my my company has made a, a very um arduous and um and valuable move from being a pay as you go business meaning you just paid for what you use while you use it to a company that does only annual subscription model business meaning when you sign up to use nanigans you sign up for a year for the spend that you're going to that you're planning on using yes the actual the value to to my pro, to my customers is that we then understand exactly the customer base we need to support. We know how many support people we have to put in place. We know how many engineers we can you we can apply to the project. We know how many projects we should take on to augment the functionality of the product um, such that our customers get dramatically better reliability. There's less risk to their business. So so reduction of risk is a, is another important thing that's absolutely worth quantifying for you to justify your product. The last one is speed to market. Speed to market is pretty straightforward, um, and it ultimately results in increased revenues and reduced costs. But the idea is, if I can, um, you know, if I can 
get my product out there six months faster than someone else as a result of the efficiencies I get from from uh you know from using these tools, then I have dramatically increased revenue opportunity. I have, you know, dramatically greater share of market opportunity as a result. And and so the the um speed to market um value proposition is one that also will resonate especially with executive level buyers. Yep. So I guess taking these four into consideration, when you come to a new customer, do you do you kind of first seek to understand what their calculus is around this, or do you kind of uh, proactively provide you know these calculations? In other words, is this a, something you arm your 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 sales team with? Should they need to answer one of these questions, or is this a kind of proactive? Uh, we're educating the market on what you may not have even known before sort of situation. Um, yeah, so absolutely. You know, being able to define the success criteria in a sales cycle is the, you know, it, it's how you win over and above others. And so we do both in our sales cycles. We both listen for what are the success criteria or what are the decision criteria that is that a um, prospect is considering and making their decision. And we match our value to that. But then we will also augment that decision criteria with other with other criteria that similar companies to this prospect will often use in making an informed decision. And as a result, we're able to insert some of the additional things that would be value for, valuable for that customer to consider in that purchase, but that they haven't considered already, and then in process help to define the decision criteria in a direction that helps your product be chosen. Yep. So it's a it's a combination of the two at the same time. Got it. Um, yeah, I mean that that I think that that makes a lot of sense, and I mean I, I think it's interesting. I, I've I've heard so many people talk about. ROI as it relates to unique value selling, but never actually go through the step-by-step process of, you know, doing the calculations. Um, I'd love to, I'd love to chat just for a second about, you know, your internal process. You know, when you, you know, it could have been when you first came in Anigans or or when you first, uh, you know, started implementing actual quantification of ROI. How did you? How do you go through the process of actually doing each of these calculations? Did you sit down with your team, model everything out? Uh, how, how deep did you actually go up front? Sure. Yeah. No. It's it's deserving of an offsite. It's deserving of you sitting down and just being completely brutally honest with the product you have, the market you're in, and the value you bring to the table. And then from there, it isn't very hard to turn it into some sort of calculation that you you start out as a draft and you test on based on your existing customer base as well as in the market with prospects going forward and you continually refine it over time and I don't think it ever actually stops being developed but but if you just give it that push and create a initial framework for people to to use I find that even if they don't use the calculator explicitly just the way they go about um Controlling the dialogue with a prospect is one that has that has that has better control than they would have otherwise if they hadn't gone through this this process. 
And so there's a lot of learnings that happen by by doing an offsite, sitting down, explaining or or you know getting the team on the same page that that approaching your customer from a quantified value perspective is 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 valuable for them and valuable for mm-hmm. for us the company. And so uh, so that's how we usually approach it. Um, I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear, you know, once you kind of you know, sit down with your team, understand uh, the factors that are going into it, uh, what's, what's the actual output? Uh, you know, you mentioned a calculator. Are there other pieces of collateral that, you know, kind of leverage uh, the calculations and, and kind of how do you put it to work in the sales funnel? Um, so, you know, is, is the salesperson sitting there with the calculator? Um, Anything you can tell us about, you know, just how you kind of mobilize your sales team around this concept? Great, yeah. So this this actually um, pervades through the entire funnel. And what I mean is, so once you go through this process of understanding where your value is and how valuable it is and what kind of characteristics a prospect has to have in order to find value, this the value in your in your functionality then the next step is for example putting together a qualification sheet a, the simple prospecting qualification sheet that determines whether a prospect is potentially a good prospect for you or the suspect is a good prospect for you or not um will ultimately when you think about it it's going to have predominantly the value proposition stuff that you just talked about Right. It's going to mm-hmm. find out it's going to find out whether, you know, whether speed is important to them and if it's important to them, how important it is, is it and why, whether ease of use is important to them and why is it important and how important does it become? Even if you don't get down to an actual minute calculation, which you would later on in the sales cycle when you're further down in the funnel, um, just using this as as qualification criteria is is an important first step. Um, from there, you're going to obviously infuse all your learnings from quantified value into your initial presentation and then your demo and then ultimately the ROI justification that you help to build with your customer so that they can they can choose you and and um, and purchase through through their their process. Um, and so literally at every step of of the the funnel from top to to the, the almost very bottom you're using the concepts of of unique value in it to make sure that that this sale is going in the direction that you want that you're using your resources efficiently and um and you're driving your customer got it um you know really just stepping down to the most uh tactical granular level you do you employ just, you know, as, as far as the calculator goes, uh, a Google Doc and, you know, kind of revisit that and update it as necessary or it's kind of more of a, uh, a pricing card type of document? I'm just putting myself in the shoes of uh, you know, an early stage founder or, or a kind of early early head of sales looking to implement something like this. How would you say, uh, uh, how would you suggest they, you know, actually put pen to paper here? Um, sure. So a, a lot of how you implement this is really going to depend on sort of the complexity of your product and the complexity of your sales cycle. Um, you know, at a at the most sort of basic level, you'll be able to create a an an ROI calculator that you would sit down with your prospect and fill it out together. 
Um, usually what, what I find is useful in these scenarios is to come to that meeting already prepared with approximate ranges of the variables filled in so that you just have to refine the assumptions in that meeting rather than, than sit down and go through an enormous checklist of, of qualifications. Um, yep. Another way to another way to do that uh, is to to essentially gather those questions that you need for inputs into this ROI calculator and 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 then gather that information by asking those questions without ex explicitly filling out your calculator throughout the earlier stages of the sales cycle, so that by the time you get to the point of needing to deliver a a quantified value ROI calculator, it is mostly filled in or almost even entirely filled in based on what the customers told you over time. So, you know, depending on the complexity, depending on the, the ACV of your deals uh, and the rest, you're going to decide how how granularly to use this or how broadly to use it. But, um, yep. but you know, any any deal that, you know, that's, let's say, 200K ACV or better is absolutely deserving of of, you know, the hour beforehand and then the sit-down session to fill this out and get on the same page with your prospect. Yep. I would even uh, I would even imagine if you have, for example, a content marketing strategy, there may be certain fields to download a white paper that, that might play into this, uh, you know, or, or a, you know, basically as you're, as you're at the very top of the funnel gathering information about you know, what leads might be most qualified, you, you probably gather a couple of nuggets of information that can filter in the process as well, I'd, I'd imagine. Yeah, that's exactly right. You're you're gathering information from your first conversations with, with this prospect. Great. Um, the next question I'd love to move into is, you know, with a quantified ROI, you can make a potentially more objective argument about, you know, why your product is not only better, but the right choice for the customer. Um, is there is there a scenario in which you know there may be an unknown about how their spend is currently allocated, um, you know, in the case of Nanigans, uh, or or something similar that um, you know that that might lead you to be hesitant to commit to certain you know uh, c commit to certain value propositions around increased revenue or the like. Uh, with with the fear that you know maybe they might come back to you later and say hey well you know you told me X or Y was going to happen and it didn't exactly work out that way uh, is there you know is there a you know a, a danger as you get more and more granular with with these uh, quantifications that you uh, you know promise on a specific number whereas there may be unknowns that are out of your control is that something you consider yeah you'll you'll want to you want to obviously create a um a calculator that is as accurate as is possible based on assumptions make sure that people understand that a calculator is always based on assumptions from those inputs and from your experience in having worked with customers similar to them in similar scenarios now i think that most people that are listening to the podcast are um, they probably share a sales cycle where there is some amount of validation involved, whether it's a trial, whether it's reference checking, et cetera. But there'll be something more than just handing somebody a number at the bottom that says, here you go, buy our product, get $10 million as a result. Um, no sales cycle is that simple. I wish it was. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. 
Yeah. So, you know, you have to be prepared for validation of all the claims that you're making, um, as well as setting reasonable expectations that the, the calculator is directional. Yep. And, and I guess to that, to that point as well, you know, do you ever find that, you know, bringing up, uh, bringing up specific numbers or, or even specific ranges as you talk about, uh, quantified ROI brings additional stakeholders into the conversation, be it, you know, somebody in the CFO's organization or, you know, uh, in your case, maybe a, you know, an analyst focused on, on media mix. Uh, is, you know, does that ever, you know, ever talk to a prospect and they say, well, actually, I'd, I'd love to, I'd love to loop in and Jane, who actually knows more about X or Y. Yeah, that's a, it's a really good point. So, you know, in a in a complex sales cycle, there's multiple multiple parallel constituencies that you need to engage for the things that are important, valid for them. Um, absolutely, filling this out, getting it right. Having this be sort of the central, um, um, let's say, subject of discussion around your your sales cycle is 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 certainly a way to be able to um, to have the justification to talk to those additional constituents, which which is critical to you essentially not having risk in your sales cycle and making sure you've covered all your bases. Um, just a completely side note is I always teach my salespeople that there is no such thing as cutting corners and. If you assume something about your sales cycle, you're probably doing it wrong. And so I would much rather they they did reach out, had the opportunity to engage with the person that would have some influence in it rather than just making that assumption. Yep. Got it. Um, the, the the final specific question I'd, I'd love to, uh, to get your take on is, you know, as you think about um, certain – Certain products may have kind of a, you know, an almost aspirational nature, um, you know, a, a kind of premium that comes along with, you know, could be could be the brand or a premium that comes along with, you know, adopting the the best of the best technology that's out there, and some of these elements may not be quite as easily quantified. Um, is this is this something that you simply just make sure to build into the calculation so it, you know, it kind of hits hits whatever your, your premium is, uh, or or do you kind of, you know, work this market education in to make sure they understand the value of these kind of intangibles, for lack of a better word? Yeah. So that question is probably worthy of an entire podcast because what <laughs> you're really talking <laughs> what you're really talking about there is the strategies you use depending where you are on the the product adoption curve in crossing the chasm for your product. So what I've been talking about so far is is products that are basically at or have crossed the chasm. It's products that have um you you're not doing straight up missionary work or you know frankly you could you could do um, evangelical type sales within with an ROI calculator, but this what we've discussed so far is using this as a strategy to differentiate in an existing market. So if you're if you're way earlier on pre crossing the chasm and you have to build the the justification for your product in the first place, then that's gonna that's gonna be a lot of different factors that go into a decision to to consider consider that consider that being a something that's worthy of 
of that person taking spending their time investing into you know to um to bring into their company and it it will also involve various value quantifications but the decision is obviously a different one in um earlier in the in the product adoption stage than would be in this one that we talked about which is which is um sort of a a um an early majority to majority type um adopter yep and and so i guess to to provide a kind of counterpoint follow up to that if if you have a market where you know not much market education is is required it's you know it's a known existing market and you know you're you're carving out market share and, and really proving with this quantified ROI that your product is the one. Would you say how, how much how much do you you know and in this market for example there's probably a good number of competitors. Um, how how deep do you uh, take the calculation to focus on that specific uh, you know prospect? Um, do you do you actually work in like as you as you talk with them, you you update the calculator. Are you really tailored to them, or is that given the broad universe of the prospects, just a little too much to to take on? Um, you try to get as granular as you reasonably can be, considering sort of the limitations of time and patience. Um, it, it would be your goal to come up with numbers that are you know literally indisputable that are you know that are something that they can take to the bank from there um generally this is used again directionally to help influence the decision criteria as well as help make it easy for that customer to buy your specific product um but it's going to it's going to vary it's going to vary based on the complexity of your sale the ACV of your sale etc and so i, I to can't really answer that except to say that you need to employ a range depending on what your product and market mix are. Perfect. Um, final question, which is one that I often like to, to wrap up these these podcasts with, is you know recognizing that a good a good number of listeners out there are are probably uh, on the earlier stage side of things. If if you were to put yourselves in you know the shoes of a founder or, or a first head of sales and you know they're relatively new to this concept and, and thinking about uh implementing it. You know, we we've talked about high level concepts, we've talked about how to put pen to paper, but um you know what what would you what advice would you give them to, you know, A say, hey, does this does this make sense for me as an exercise to to engage in right now and what's kind of the first step they should take? Sure. Yeah, I think I think that um my my advice would be to be brutally honest with yourself and say if I can't build an actual you know I'm going to sit down and I'm going to put pen to paper and build an actual quantified ROI value proposition for both the category as well as for my unique features if I can't really do that then I'm not ready to sell I'm not ready to go out in the market um, because if you can't do it, then it's very unlikely that anybody that's going to buy your product is going to be able to do it for you or instead of you. And so that is a, a, a critical initial hurdle that you should feel very confident that you've, that you've put in place a model that is, that is credible, that is pragmatic. Um, 
And if you haven't, then you know you're you're either sort of in denial, or <laughs> <laughs> or you have something yeah. that's so unbelievably good that you should just I don't know that you should um, you should do this anyway. Um, and uh, and I think it's a, it's an it's a required first step and um, and a formalization that I don't see, especially early early stage um, startups doing. Yeah, I think it would help a lot. Yeah, I definitely would agree with you there. I think as you know, I mentioned in the past, it's uh, you know the unique value proposition of your product, obviously something that everyone talks about. But at the end of the day, somebody's buying it, somebody's allocating budget towards it, so there has to be some sort of calculus that goes into it. Uh, you know, why why let your customers why let your customers do that? Or, you know, when this is something that you should really understand yourself. Um, so I think the, the brutal honesty method is uh, <laughs> is the right one. Uh, well, with that, I think I think we'll we'll conclude today's podcast. But uh, Aaron, I just want to thank you again for uh, for joining. I think it'll be a great one for our listeners. Great, I'm glad to be part of it, and I I appreciate it.